This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hey, welcome to Lake Kickers Live. It is Sunday night, January 22nd, the year of our Lord, 2023. Back in 1999, Vince McMahon and the then WWF held a WWF title match at halftime of the Super Bowl. And as a child, I thought maybe we'll have something one day where we can have something important enough that we could stage at halftime of NFL postseason play. Well, here we are, Niners and uh, Cowboys sitting at halftime, and we have a lot of college football to talk about. We're jam-packed. We're high atop a heated, appropriately so, downtown Nashville, Tennessee. They're lying to you about star ratings again. Recruiting and a lot of guys in the NFL playoffs right now that have lower star ratings coming out of high school. Is the entire industry a sham? Well, of course it's not. I will explain momentarily. Uh, job openings, yeah, got some of those, but we've got job approval numbers to talk about tonight. Four more coaches, and we have a very, very wide range of job approval numbers that have gone out so far. A lot of folks are strangely polarized on Deion Sanders. Yeah, we're going to do one of those segments, by the way. And um, this particular segment is going to be beneficial to you either way. Either you're interested in Deion Sanders or you couldn't care less about Deion Sanders, in which case we are answering a question from someone who asks why we keep talking about Deion Sanders. So we're going to hit that. Five more bold predictions from August. Got some good ones tonight. They're watching us in Thompson Station, a lovely couple, well-managed couple, if you will, tuned in from Thompson Station, Tennessee, Madison, Wisconsin, Vans Valley, Georgia, Jonesboro, Arkansas. Let's dive into the show. Very much a, very much a hurry up we're running on the show tonight. We had a question about star ratings. Rarely do we lead the show off with questions, but I want to show you a question we got earlier today, and then I want to respond accordingly. So George Washington Tarver hits us up and says, how do people like you claim star rankings are the end-all be-all, but former two stars and three stars like Brock Purdy and Joe Burrow are in the NFL playoffs? Well... You notice the wording there? The end-all be-all. I will tell you something, George Washington Tarver. I'm not quite sure if we added all of our paychecks here together how much it would equal, but we are willing to do that. I didn't even clear this with Jesse or Colin, uh, but I have the freedom to speak for them. That's how laws work. So their paycheck and my paycheck, we're going to pool it all together, and we will give you our next paycheck. If you ever find evidence anywhere of me saying star rankings, or the end-all, be-all. That's not ever what I've said. What I have said is they matter because, yes, talent matters. And trying to evaluate that talent, trying to properly rate that talent, is not the easiest practice in the world, which I think is common sense, but it's not common sense. So let me tell you, we're in that, we're in that weird area right now. It happens every NFL playoff season where somebody 
that lacks the imagination to create their own content goes out there and they look at all the players in the playoffs and then they go back to high school and they aggregate their star rankings out of high school and then of course they filter out the ones that were highly rated and they show you the ones that weren't as highly rated and they use that as evidence that the recruiting industry is a sham star ratings it's just a crapshoot blah 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 so I'm not going to go down the road of telling you how I interpret star ratings. I will. It's not a long road. Uh, It's just basically a here and now snapshot of a player using all of the available criteria, metrics, etc. There's no way to know what the psyche valve on that player would be. There's no way to know how he's going to acclimate to college life. There's no way to know if he doesn't have a six and a half inch growth spurt coming his sophomore year. You just have the information at hand and you try to put as good a rating on a kid as possible. I'm going to break some news to you tonight. Not all kids have physically plateaued when they're 11th and 12th graders. The J.J. Watt protocol, in other words. But anyway, properly interpreting the value of star ratings has always required two things that are preciously lacking this time of year, and that is nuance and context. The thing about nuance and context is those don't really fit on those gotcha graphics that a lot of people like to put out there to to try and prove to you that star rankings don't mean anything. Well... They do. They just don't mean everything. And they're not complete and they're not scientific. So I found it interesting, if you looked at the tweet we just got, that Joe Burrow was mentioned. I could pick any of a number of these guys, but let me just, for the sake of argument and time tonight, let me take Joe Burrow. Very, very classic case study here. So what are we what are we talking about? The allegation, to be clear, is since Joe Burrow's destroying it in the NFL, and he was only rated a four-star, by the way, wasn't a three-star. Uh, he was only rated a four-star, the recruiting industry whiffed, right? And, and everyone can see that, the recruiting industry whiffed. Well, I want to take you through an exercise right quick. Everyone is free to participate. I want to use Joe Burrow. Let's use Joe Burrow as the example, okay? He was a four-star coming out of high school. That's in the class of 2015. I'm not even going to make you do what the folks in the recruiting industry had to do, and that was put a star rating and a grade on him coming out of high school. I'm going to give you the benefit of three more years. So you don't have to do what the Wiltfongs of the world had to do. You can wait through 2015 and 16 and 17, and you can even watch his full 2018 season, and then I want you to grade him. So let's let's recap what happened there. He went to Ohio State. He transferred from Ohio State to LSU, and now he's got a full year starting under his belt at LSU, where he was a 57% completion percentage guy. I think 16-5 touchdown to INT in 2018. Got shut out by Bama. They didn't score a point against Bama that year. The current situation is it's the end of the 2018 college football season. I want you, at that point, to star rate Joe Burrow. I want any NFL GM out there at that point, to star rate Joe Burrow. I dare you to tell me you're putting anything more than a four-star rating on him after three additional years of inventory at your disposal, of a resume at your disposal. Then 2019 happened. Well, any idiot could reassign a star rating then. You don't get to do that in the recruiting world. You got to put it on them when they're coming out of high school. So no, they put four stars on him coming out of high school. And then the following three years happened. And even after the 2018 season, no one was looking at that rating and saying, wow, that was really out of whack. If anything, some of you who send me those tweets may bump him down to a three-star after seeing the 2018 season and seeing him get shut out against Alabama, not even being a 60% completion percentage guy. The point is, it's very difficult. It's not the easiest thing in the world. 
especially at the quarterback position. Not the easiest thing in the world to project because number one, we know something happened between 2018 and 2019. His name's Joe Brady. And a lot of other talent around him, him being Joe Burrow, was all of a sudden utilized properly. And the reins were handed over to a very competent offensive mind that came to Baton Rouge by way of New Orleans, and they blew up college football in 2019. I look at Hendon Hooker this year and what he did under Josh Heupel. Same guy, just not at Virginia Tech anymore. He's at Tennessee. You have no clue any given year how many guys are completely, is it foundering or floundering, drowning at another program that just need a change of scenery or, or just need new personnel in the coach's box. It's very hard to know how a guy's going to be handled when you're grading them in high school. You don't know any of that. Sometimes even into their college career, you don't. But I don't even necessarily count on a normal fan who has a nine to five job and you're not in the business of talent evaluation. You may look at someone who is a talent evaluator in the recruiting industry and say, well, I shouldn't be as good as you. You should have the benefit of the doubt that you have to prove to me because you guys claim to be professionals. Okay, okay, I think I made my point, but let's just play devil's advocate here and let's say you're right about that. I want to talk to another group of folks for a second because those are NFL general managers that I want to talk to. I want to talk to NFL scouts. NFL scouts, general managers. They get the entire college football resume on a guy's reel. Not to mention they get full medical on a guy. They get a full psychological background. They get to interview him. They do investigative work, knowing every nook and cranny of their lives, and they still whiff all the time. So imagine how hard it is to properly grade a guy coming out of 11th grade and 12th grade. The, the dudes four or five years down the road who run NFL franchises still whiff sometimes. You know what else they do? They hit a lot of times. Just like in the recruiting industry, strangely, a lot of these kids with five stars next to their name, they also have offers from Ohio State and Alabama and Clemson. And some of them wash out for reasons not even pertaining to football. My point is, you can, you can every now and then anecdotally pick out these examples, and, and I can throw like 15 more of them back in your face. It's not, it's not an exact science, is all I'm trying to say. So in lieu of being any more harsh, and for the sake of timing, I'm going to move on. But I knew that was coming. We were, we were waiting for it, and we got a couple of those tweets this morning. Academy Sports and Outdoors lets us do this for free. I don't know how else to lead it off. Sometimes I could show you some fancy graphics of all the things that they offer, but I just want to tell you, this show is free because of Academy Sports and Outdoors, and you need the things that Academy has in your life. I know you do. Uh, there is someone out there in Des Moines, Iowa, not the home of the University of Iowa. I know that. Uh, but nonetheless, there's someone driving around Des Moines tonight or maybe tomorrow listening to the pod, and you need outdoor sporting goods equipment. You need it. We, we just, it's a fact of life. People like us need things like that. And so I simply ask you to consider Academy Sports and Outdoors in making your purchasing decisions. And if you can't get there in person, academy.com online got you hooked up. And not just with product, they've got you hooked up with having the right products and then also making sure that we can do shows like this. They don't even make us stop. I want to also reiterate this. Sometimes you get seasonal partnerships with brands uh, but then they get to maybe the end of a football season and they say ah we'll see you next football season not academy not academy we believe in the no off-season approach they believe in the no off-season approach 
And if you're new here and wonder why we whisper the word off-season, it's because we don't take one. We do this show all year round, and we can do it, and you never have to pay for it because of Academy. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's move on. Job approvals. Got fresh numbers in here. Fresh intel and research. We got four new names on the head coaching radar tonight. And we've got some job approval numbers. Now, for one of these guys, he's not going to lead it off. But for one of these guys, I really think we need to reiterate heavily, these are up to the minute. This is not as of the end of the season. It's not as of a week and a half ago. So with one of these guys, a lot has changed in the past week that may have spiked his approval rating just a little bit. I guess you could say that about the first guy, too. So I should have just let off with that. Jim Harbaugh, job approval has got to be an A. What's the expectation level at Michigan? That's the first thing producer Jesse said when we were doing some research on this segment today. He said, I guess you got to ask yourself, don't you? What's the expectation level at Michigan? And for a long time, I don't know about internally, but nationwide, what had you come to expect from Michigan? Um Kind of, kind of a stepchild reputation up there, especially when it came to the Ohio State rivalry. They were having a difficult time dealing with Michigan State. And uh, certainly, certainly you were not confusing them within the college football playoff picture. Their name was not in your mouth when you were talking about those sorts of things. And now all of a sudden, you got back-to-back wins over Ohio State. You got back-to-back Big Ten championships. You got back-to-back playoff appearances, good portal halls. They are hitting in recruiting and development. Now, they're not recruiting top five, but they are hitting in their evals and they're hitting in development. I think most importantly out of all this and a contributing factor for all this has been the program's attitude has totally shifted. Like Michigan, when I watch them now, number one, they're expected to win. Number two, they expect to win. And for two years in a row now, I've stood on the sideline at the Michigan-Ohio State game And I've watched them be the aggressor. And they had played that game on their heels so many consecutive years. And Ohio State had taken that thing by the throat so many consecutive years that it was sort of jarring to see it last year to the point, and search your heart, you know this to be true, where some of you thought maybe that was just an aberration. Maybe, I don't know, maybe there was this just perfect combination and confluence of events that day in Ann Arbor, but all will be rectified when they have to go to Columbus. They went to Columbus and did the same thing. Did the same thing. And so now, how do I give Jim Harbaugh anything lower than an A? There are two things that if you wanted to you wanted to just flip the coin and play the other side for the sake of fun, you could say. And that is one, maybe people don't approve of his continuous NFL flirtation. And the other is, while recruiting is good, we haven't seen the big spike that you would expect to see coming off a playoff trip last year, and now they've got another one. And recruiting's not bad. It's not bad. And when you're hitting on all your evals like they are, you don't necessarily have to recruit in the top five. But this is nitpicking. This is not even my personal feel. This is just if you were to nitpick this and say, oh, it shouldn't be an A, it should be a B plus. I guess that's what you would have to say. Outside of that, uh, they are rolling right now. So I'm giving Jim Harbaugh an A. Next up, more good news. Brian Kelly at LSU. Brian Kelly is an A-man as well. And um, I've, had, I've had several recollections recently of the fact that there were seventh place predictions for LSU in the SEC West in the preseason. I don't think that was the official media stance at media days or anything like that, but you guys have taken it upon yourselves to remind me in my mentions there were a lot of folks 
who were saying sixth at best, maybe even last because the SEC West was going to be such a meat grinder, which it, it, I don't know. I mean, you could make the argument it kind of was. I could also make the argument it was down a little bit this year. It wasn't down enough for a bad team to win it, though. LSU had to be a good team. And they won the West in year one. They are a team that finished 12th in recruiting the past cycle, which is not a whole lot of Brian Kelly. They got Harold Perkins to come in there at the last minute. And don't overlook that. That guy overturned a couple of games for them this year. And now they're currently sitting sixth in this recruiting cycle. You know, that's that thing Brian Kelly can't do, by the way. The whole recruiting thing. That's what he can't do. He can't acclimate to LSU. He doesn't fit the culture. And he can't recruit in the South. Um, eh, eh, eh. 0 for 3 so far. Probably can't beat Alabama either, right? <clears throat> 0 for 4. So he's doing all that year one. It's, it's almost like they haven't even got their feet under him. Uh, and they look really good. You would definitely call them ahead of schedule. Number one, by the way, the number one portal class in the country right now after being number three a cycle ago. Everything's pointing up. Every single thing's pointing up. Walker Howard left there recently. In years past, a quarterback prospect of that caliber leaving would make you say, oh, that's bad, bad news for LSU. He left because two other good ones are there. So I don't know, I don't know what more I could possibly be wanting from Brian Kelly this early in his tenure. I'm giving him an A. Uh, man, maybe we should have mixed some more controversial names in here because the next guy's getting an A-. minus, And that is a long way away from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. What about Dan Lanning at Oregon? We go up to Eugene, Oregon. Dan Lanning, I'm giving him an A-. minus. Remember the gut punch that was Mario Cristobal leaving Oregon? I think sometimes we tend to forget how we felt at the time something happened. This sport moves quick, and this is not the NFL. This is college football. So we've got dozens and dozens more names of head coaches and, and hundreds of assistant coaches and a bunch of players and programs, and it's just like drinking from a fire hose to the point where when Cristobal left there, at the time, people looked, and it was a disaster for Oregon. And then they kept right on keeping on because they brought the youngest head coach in FBS in at the time, in Dan Lanning from Georgia, Never been a head coach a day in his life. First time at this level, period. And uh, what did they do? Well, they they had a really good year. Remember, we're basing this off a foundation of what the expectation level is. So they, I'll, t I'll give you the bad part first. That Georgia game in week one, hey, they didn't get blown out as bad as the national championship participant TCU Horn Frogs did. I guess we have to we have to add that caveat in there now. Um, but the Georgia game notwithstanding, they lost a couple of close games to Washington and Oregon State. You're never getting an A-plus job approval rating at Oregon if you're losing those games. So if we're going to chip away a little bit at the veneer, okay, there's that. But what was the biggest fear? The biggest fear, the biggest fear when Mario Cristobal left Oregon had nothing to do with Oregon State or Washington. It wasn't even on the field necessarily. People were terrified recruiting was about to drop off because Mario Cristobal had totally elevated the recruiting operation there. And it hasn't fallen off. So the biggest fear has not been realized. That is subsided. And they're right now recruiting very well. And when you combine what they're doing in recruiting with what they're doing in the transfer portal, talent acquisition is not an issue. It's not a worry for them. And so in lieu of that, man, they kept Bo Nix there. They had as good a quarterback play last year as you've seen from them in several years. The losses they did have were very close. Nix was a little bit banged up. 
Frankly, to me, one of the most impressive games they had this year was the Utah game, where they ended up winning a close game, and we're going in that week thinking Bo Nix may not even play. I mean, they had a lot of guys banged up. My point there is, you don't always have to win the conference championship, especially in year one of a head coach, to get an A- minus or an A-plus grade. Relative to expectation, one year into the Dan Lanning tenure, I think they've exceeded it, and so I'm giving them an A-. minus. Now, here's the most interesting name. This is the one I was talking about when we came into the segment a few minutes ago. What kind of job approval rating would you give Dabo Swinney at Clemson? And as I am about to give you my grade, when we talk about what the expectation level is at a program, have we redefined the expectation at Clemson? So, for example, since Dabo's been there a long time, you could easily compare him to Saban. When Saban got to Alabama, if you complained in 2010 because Bama lost three games, it would have been very easy to say, my, oh, my, how quickly we forget what it was like before he got here. Because Saban had only been there like three years at that point. Or four, mm, hiccup, four years, whatever it is. But if you were to say that today, people who are 15 years old weren't even alive to remember the whole, the whole times in the past that you're referring to. And so my point is, at Alabama, the expectation level has long since been redefined. I would argue at Clemson, maybe the expectation level has long since been redefined to the point where it's not out of the realm of believability for people to complain when they're only winning 10 games. That's the new Clemson. That's the new standard there. I know it's aggravating for a guy like Dabo Swinney because he remembers those old days. For example, listen to this. These are wild stats, by the way. Dabo Swinney, you want to know, know how much he elevated this program. They've won double-digit games every year since 2011. Every single one of them. Before 2011, the last time they had a double-digit win season was 1990. He redefined Clemson football. He just totally redefined for an entire generation what the standard of Clemson football is. With that being the backdrop, I think it's an A-. minus. I think it's an A- minus because you can't deny that there has been underachievement relative to their standard on the field the past two years. Not cataclysmic underachievement, just being off pace a little bit. They haven't slowed down to zero miles per hour. They just, they just slowed down a little bit. A little bit of air came out of the, the front right tire. Now, the reason why I said what I said a few minutes ago about it being interesting, we're timing this now, is because I think the job approval numbers, if we were to just take a straw poll of all Clemson fans, has gone up over the past week. Because Dabo Swinney made the biggest move in the coaching cycle, at the assistant level at least, and that was going and getting Garrett Riley from TCU. That's not a small thing at all. In fact, it's a very, very big thing, immunity. It also signifies that you've got a head coach there who, let's just call it like we see it, has a history of being a little bit stubborn, has a history of being a little bit set in his ways, and as you could see by his resume, those are good ways to be set in most of the time. He admitted a mistake. Like I said at the time, never gave you the satisfaction of admitting it to your face, never said it in a press conference, nothing like that, but he did admit it. The way he admitted it was he made a move, a very tough move, by firing a guy cares a lot about and elevated and, and sort of took pride in developing and brings in a guy from TCU, not of the Clemson family. And so, man, that's crazy. Before 2011, their last double-digit win season was 1990, and now they've won double digits every year since 2011. So I'm going to give an A- 
to Dabo Swinney. Now, we just did Harbaugh, Kelly, Lanning, and Swinney. I never went below an A- minus for any of them. I will be, I will be hawking the comment section. Because I know you guys. This has been a very, very spirited debate we've had with the job approval numbers. I will be very interested who you think should have been at the B level or below. And knowing you like I do, someone's going to drop a random C-plus on me, and they're going to have a bullet point list, paragraphs deep, of reasons why. And uh, it's an opinion-based thing, of course, so I'll be interested to hear your opinion. They're watching us in Eugene, Oregon, Denton, Texas, Asheville, North Carolina. We appreciate you guys being tuned in. Halftime heat rolls on. Let's continue. Um, Colin, do we have a question about Dion, or was I just going to tell yeah, we do have a question. Okay. In reality, we got like hundreds of them. So we just found one that best represents you. Rock Hill, South Carolina checking in here. Alan asked, why spend so much time talking Dion when Colorado won't even make a bowl game? Now I remember. There it is. Now I remember. Alan, this is going to sound like I'm trying to ragdoll you. And I'm not trying to do that. I appreciate you watching more than you could possibly know. However, we can be friends and disagree, right? So just, just pretend like we're at Clearview Barbecue down in Columbus, Georgia, and you and I are fighting over a couple of chip sandwiches at lunch. I have no clue where this attitude could possibly come from. Colorado won't make a bowl game has quickly become the tiredest, lamest college football insult there is. I want you to imagine for just a second. Okay, imagine taking over a 1-11 team, and they haven't won over five games but once since they joined the Pac-12. Haven't had more than a five-win season but once in over a decade. Uh, maybe the worst roster in all of Power Five. And imagine going four and eight with that team and having a group of folks led by Allen saying, told you, you, you told me nothing. You told, it's like a guy getting his pilot's license and flying successfully the first time. And you said, well, Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong landed on the moon. What did you do? Dion could go four and eight. He could go five and seven this year, and somebody out there is going to say, I knew he was overrated. This is a badly broken scale, people, a, a terminally flawed scale. If you think bowl eligibility in year one is the proper metric with which to gauge whether success and improvement has happened at Colorado. I had Jesse go compile me, by the way, and I think you see it on the screen here. I, I had Jesse compile me. I said, forget about the losses. There are too many to count. I just want you to tell me how many wins per year they've had since they joined the Pac-12 conference. It goes a little something like this. 5, 3, 1, 4, 2, 4, 10. 5, 5, 5, 4, 4, 1. So as you can see, friends, even in the most normal of seasons, Colorado making a bowl would be extreme. It's not, the, it's not an extreme prediction. It's the lamest prediction in the world. It's, it's the biggest gulp of haterade you could possibly take against someone to try and manufacture them to be set up for failure by saying, well, if he's really that good, he'll prove it by making a bowl game. See me in 2024. Don't see me in 2023 about that. Even with the transfer portal, there's only so much this guy can do. One, did you hear me when I said 1-11? They won one game. And a lot of those guys have been run out of town. So if you want to also have fun, go look at the list of schools that the kids who have transferred out of Colorado have gone to. One of them went to Colgate. De I mean, Dion's got folks transferring to toothpaste. That's a, that's a stage below rice. God bless you, Colgate. So why do I talk Dion Sanders? That was the question there. Well, I, I'll tell you why I talk Dion Sanders. Number one, he's a disruptor. You don't get those very often. I mean that in the most respectful of terms. He's a disruptor. 
meaning you've got a natural set of order and a natural way things are flowing. When the disruptor comes in, everything gets shaken up. Here's what a disruptor looks like. For example, we sat in this studio about 72 hours ago and told you Cormani McLean just committed to Colorado. You could have a forklift distributing as much cash as you ever hoped to distribute. And there's not another head coach on this planet that would have ever been able to land Cormani McLean in Boulder, Colorado, but Deion Sanders. Saban wouldn't have done it. Kirby Smart wouldn't have done it. Nobody would have been able to do it but Deion Sanders. And the reason is simple. He has got a set of characteristics that no one else has. He's a disruptor. And I'm running a show, which at its core is entertainment-based, by the way. So that's one reason I would talk about Deion Sanders. The other is, as you saw his first day on the job out in Boulder, he's brutally honest and doesn't really care about you seeing it. You know, some of you accurately said when we showed that video of him addressing the team for the first time, well, the only difference in Dion saying that to those kids and every other head coach that takes over is every other head coach didn't record it. Yep. What's your point? Because my point is I love that. He didn't hide from it. Most head coaches hide from that. Most head coaches are afraid of it making them look bad. You walked in there and told college athletes they probably need to look elsewhere because you don't have much use for them. Well, hey, you know what else Deion Sanders has going for him that makes me not care less about that in terms of hurt feelings is the semi-professionalization of college athletics. You inserted the transfer portal. You inserted NIL. You inserted a profit-based model, for lack of a better term, for college athletes. And I sat here and said, if that's the way you want to guys, you guys want to take it, take it that way. But you can't get the benefits of being an adult and avoid being treated like an adult. And so Dion walked in and treated him like an adult and said, camera crew, follow me. Record every bit of this. I don't care. So I appreciate that. I like That's another reason. You're asking me why I talk about Deion Sanders. That's another reason. Uh, he doesn't need to work another day in his life if he doesn't want to, and yet he's ultra passionate about this. You know, he's not, in other words, doing this to garner attention for a bigger project. He's not looking to siphon resources and funding, and he's not looking to crowdsource using the University of Colorado as a platform. He may be looking to advance his career long-term, he may not see himself coaching at the University of Colorado for 20 years, but college football and elevating young men, I believe, is absolutely at the forefront of what he's doing. I believe he's totally genuine when he says that. And so I appreciate that. That's another reason I talk about him. Uh, here's another very important aspect when it comes to our world. He understands entertainment, which I know makes some of you roll your eyes. Some of you are more uh, purist, traditionalist, nothing wrong with this whatsoever. Some of you grew up on the sport and you just want it for football. You don't care about storylines. You don't care about the trappings and you don't care about the, the ornaments on the tree. You just want the tree. And that is absolutely A-OK. -okay. However, I did a segment about a month ago and I'll kind of regurgitate what I said then. Now, this is not the football industry. This is the entertainment industry. They don't build 100,000 seats around your football fields because everyone loves the intricacies and strict X's and O's and execution of the game. That's what it's built on, but this is entertainment. This is You get paid $8 million a year to be the head coach at fill-in-the-blank university because you, at the core of it all, are in the entertainment business. If it were about purely athletics and competition, 
you wouldn't make any more money or play in any bigger a venue than your local baseball coaches do or your lacrosse coaches do. Because those are athletics too. Those are played at a high level too. It takes a ton of time and energy to be invested to be good in those too. Football's entertainment. Deion Sanders gets it. Now, at the core of what he does, he still wakes up at whatever time he wakes up every morning to get better in the arena of football, but also understands you package that in an entertainment-based model. And that's why you know about everything they do. You could be living in Bangor, Maine. If you're a college football fan or even have passing interest in it, that means you're plugged into the right social channels, you're watching the right broadcast. Deion Sanders is going to be present there because of the last reason. He's got a combination that only a few people have. And that is this combination of like magnetism and skill and in his case, achievement, uh, but charisma, just a raw interest factor that makes you a needle mover. And there just aren't many of those people. Needle movers, meaning they wake up in the morning and decide where they're gonna go eat and it's a story. I can't necessarily explain to you why that is. Why do people care about what certain people do in every aspect of their personal and private lives. I don't know that. Personally, I've never actually been someone who that appeals to. Dion happens to appeal to me because he's in the world of college football where I hang out, but it doesn't matter whether I understand it. It doesn't matter why it is. It just matters that it is, and he's one of those people. So you ask me why I talk about Dion Sanders? Those are reasons why I talk about him. And if I didn't really want to go through that whole spiel, I could have just told you the first time we talked about him was one of the higher traffic segments we've had all year. And then we did it again to make sure we didn't just happen to game the SEO. And we didn't. You clicked on it again. So these things have been validated by you, not by me. I could just yell this into the abyss and it doesn't matter. Um, my follow-up as we move on here would be this. You know, you ask me a question. How about I return it with a question, which is very unprofessional. Why wouldn't I talk about him? It's January. Why wouldn't I talk about him? Because I gave you five or six good reasons why. I, why wouldn't I talk about Deion Sanders? Moving on. Old predictions. We got five of them here. You guys have been on a roll lately. We issued the challenge in August. Bold prediction time. What would you bet your money on for this upcoming season? And I told you all the while, be responsible because we're going to revisit all these. Well, here we go. This one crashed and burned in a very ugly fashion. And I put a nine on this one. So the first one has to do with a sack combination for Will Anderson and Dallas Turner. And uh, Daniel said, Will, Dallas, they're going to combine for 35 sacks for Bama. Well, let me spoil the ending for you. Bama as a team had 38 sacks this year. They had 57 in 2021. They led FBS in 2021. So they were well off pace this year. Let me further spoil the ending for you. Virtually every metric for Bama's defense was down this year. Uh, as for Will Anderson and Dallas Turner, the prediction was 35. They, they put 14 up. They didn't get halfway there. They had 26 last year, 14 this past year. So, uh, no, that one, much like every prediction for the Alabama defense, woefully underachieved. I put a nine on that one, and as it turns out, yes, it was, it was a nine on the boldness scale, at the very least, maybe nine and a half. Next up, this one, this one should have been higher than an eight. I don't know why I only put an eight on this one. Michigan State wins the Big Ten East and wins the Big Ten. Michigan State finished five and seven this year. Michigan State was never a threat in the East, 
They were never a threat in the Big Ten, and they were 3-6 and six in conference play. Now, that's part of the story, but as we have come to call the Nebraska protocol, a lot of protocols on the show tonight, what the Nebraska protocol in college football is, is yes, they went 3-6 and six in conference, but maybe it's misleading because maybe they weren't as bad as that sounds. Maybe they just lost a bunch of close games. Paper pop. These are the margins of defeat in conference losses for Michigan State this year. They lost by 27 to Minnesota, 14 to Maryland, 29 to Ohio State, 22 to Michigan, 8 to Indiana, overtime, and 19 to Penn State. Just not close. Just not a good football team. Couldn't run the ball to save their lives. And uh, no, did not, as it turns out, win the Big Ten there in East Lansing. Nor did this one come anywhere close. This next one went pretty sideways, too. I only put a six. You know, this, this to me is a failure on my part. This prediction crashed and burned, true enough. But the fact that I only call this a six means that I failed as well. John said, in January, we will all look back and think, how did Jimbo take so long to pick a quarterback? This guy is amazing. The bold part will be saying it no matter who wins the job. So the prediction here is essentially, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is for A&M, that quarterback will be amazing. We had Haynes King start at various points this year. We had Max Johnson start. We had Connor Wegman start. Seven games this year. A&M's leading passer was under 200 yards. Uh, eight games. They had less than two passing touchdowns. Texas A&M passing this year, yards per game, 219. That is 84th in FBS. There were several adjectives that could be accurately used to describe the A&M passing game this past year. I just don't know in good faith if we could use amazing. Amazingly terrible, but not amazing. Not anywhere close to amazing. Next up, this one whiffed. In fact, we have not had one hit yet. Uh, actually, we're going five for five on misses tonight. Very, very negative tone on the show. Uh, the prediction from Buckeye Nation was Ohio State will have the Davey O'Brien Award winner the Doak Walker Award winner, and the Bolitnikoff Award winner. So they're just going to sweep virtually all of the college football offensive awards lists. 0 for 3. They didn't win a single one. Now, uh, I could tell you, if you wanted to argue that Marvin Harrison Jr. Uh, should have gotten the Bolitnikoff, I'm okay with that. I think Jalen Hyatt was really good too. So I don't have an issue, but at least, at least Marvin Harrison Jr. was in the conversation for the Bolitnikoff. C.J. Stroud got beat out by Caleb Williams for the O'Brien. Uh, what, what else did we have? Uh, we had, we had Bijan Walker win the Doak, and that one wasn't really close. We had Brock Bowers win the Mackey. So not a single Ohio State player on that list there. Uh, this one whiffed entirely. I put a nine on it. This was lofty. It was understandably lofty even when the prediction was made. And the last prediction here, just to complete the 0 for 5, Missouri... We had a prediction, very bold one, might I add, that Missouri will win eight games. Missouri went six and six. Now, in fairness, we predicted five and seven, so at least that was better. We're talking regular season, of course. They lost the bowl game, too, I think, so they went six and seven, but six and six was the regular season result. Having said that, unlike Michigan State, I can at least sit here and tell you they almost beat Georgia. They led Georgia by two possessions in the fourth quarter. They had one of the grossest most horrific losses in the history of organized sports in the game at Auburn. 
Uh, you know how rarely we say should have won a game. And maybe I won't say it there, but that's the game. I want to say that's the game where the kid had a game-losing touchback, I think is the way it went, just trying to reach for the end zone. So we had that happen. Uh, we had the Georgia next week, by the way, the Georgia 26-22 to loss. They lost by a possession to Florida. Uh, overall, they had four SEC losses by one possession. Not that that's any consolation, but maybe it is just a little bit. So Missouri wins eight games. Yeesh. Um, that did not happen. May not happen this upcoming year. Uh, Drinkwitz has not been above that mark yet in, in his career in Columbia. How do you think halftime heat went, Jesse? I think pretty successful. Make sure, by the way, if you're tuned in on the way out, hit that thumbs up button for me and hit the subscribe button for me. Uh, you, if, you're, if you're around in the Twitter sphere, you've seen a little back and forth between certain unmentionable public personalities in the world of college football and myself today. I was minding my own business, and all of a sudden, as is usually the case, our show's name found its way into other people's mouths. And uh, you represented the brand quite well today, talking to you, not them. So appreciate that. Keep fighting the good fight. We will prevail in the end. For producer Jesse, for director Colin, I'm Josh Pate. We'll be back here same time Tuesday night. Until then, take care of the